Uh, let's pray as we uh, prepare to open God's Word again. I'm getting myself prepared here with fishermen's friends, water, uh, everything I need. So <laughs> let's pray together. Father, our simple prayer this morning is that we would see Jesus Christ, your Son, and Lord, that you would prod us, uh, encourage us, nudge us, motivate us by your Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus this week in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a hymnal published in Philadelphia in 1902 called Consecrated Hymns. Hymn number 18, 118 in Consecrated Hymns was titled To Work, To Work, To Work. And the exclamation points there were actually part of the hymn title. Uh, you don't really have to guess too hard uh, what the message was that the hymn writer was trying to sort of forcefully <laughs> put across. Now, allow me to read you just some of the lyrics to this hymn, To Work, To Work, To Work. So here's part of it. To work, to work, to work, oh, why are we now sleeping? The golden harvest waits today, and we should all be reaping. And we should all be reaping. And then in verse 2, an interesting ha thing happens where the hymn writer effectively shames those who aren't doing enough. So the lyric is this. For precious souls we're losing now, that someone should be winning, that someone should be winning. Oh, shame on us, it's actually in the hymn, to let them fail, fall, to work, to work, and win them all. I don't think we have to wonder too hard why this hymn never achieved the stature of great is thy faithfulness or amazing grace. Um, this hymn, To Work, To Work, To Work, is, I think, perhaps a, a rather extreme example of a zealous desire for activism in the church. Now, activism is one of the hallmarks of our evangelical faith. Activism is something that we evangelical Christians have always been known for, in fact. As David Bebbington describes it, right from the earliest days of the evangelical movement in the 18th and 19th centuries, evangelicals have had about them, he says, an eagerness to be up and doing. An eagerness to be up and doing. To be active in the faith. To be working to be making efforts, to be striving in the kingdom, to be guarding against idleness and passivity. And to be sure, there is most definitely, is there not, an active aspect about our faith. No doubt about it whatsoever. Our Christian faith is to be lived out, isn't it? It is to be practiced. There is most certainly a strong doing and working element about our lives as Christians, as believers in Jesus, we must make efforts. In many ways, we must strive, we must be active instead of passive. Doers of the word and not hearers only. 
However, if you're like me, sometimes the activism and the activity and the doing and striving and trying to make things happen can take on unhealthy proportions. And we begin to lose balance and to lose sight. We begin to believe that, we believe too much actually, that things really do depend on us. Yes? In the work of the kingdom. Or we, we begin to believe erroneously, I expect to hear some amens here, erroneously that our doing and striving are the way to gain favor with God. Our doing, our striving, our working, our motivations behind all of it can be fairly easily distorted and unhealthy. Well, friends, this morning's little parable in Mark chapter 4 is like a course correction for some of us. It is a divine reminder from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself that ultimately, listen, ultimately, the growth and the development of God's kingdom does not depend on any of us. It does not depend on any of us. Perhaps, I think this is a good parable for us to engage, to pause on, to be challenged by, as so many ministries and works and efforts, good things, start up again this month in September. So let's go to the parable which Jesus speaks, again, found in Mark 4, verses 26 through 29. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, when Jesus talks here about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingly rule of God, the divine royal authority of God. That rule of God, that divine kingly authority of God on earth had come in the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says that this divine royal rule, this kingdom, having now broken into history in him with his message, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Um, wow. Wow. We would expect, I mean, we're talking about the divine rule of God Almighty. We would, we would expect that the divine rule of God, as it shows up on earth, would show up with lots of bright lightning, peals of thunder, and the latest CGI, and cosmic fanfare, right? No, says Jesus. Think instead of tiny little seeds being thrown on the ground. How anticlimactic is this? How utterly unspectacular is this? The divine rule of Almighty God on earth being compared to some guy throwing little unassuming seeds on the ground. 
Jesus always has an uncanny way, doesn't he, of arresting our attention? <laughs> yes, of, of upending our expectations. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now notice something important in this verse. Notice the brevity, won't you? Notice the economy of the man's role here. Notice that? The unnamed man in the parable does just a single task in this verse, right? He scatters seed on the ground. We have this very brief, economized description of his role. He simply scatters seed, and then, in verse 27, we find the same man sleeping. Jesus says that this man sleeps. Right? Sleeps and rises night and day. So, in other words, after doing his little task of scattering the seed in verse 26, the man then lives a fairly mundane, unremarkable existence. Yes? 11 p.m., bedtime. And he snores away under his duvet for eight hours. And he gets up, has his orange juice, has his muffin, and then he lives through another day. Maybe he goes to Maxi because eggs are on sale. Maybe he comes home then and pays his hydro bill in front of his computer while he, ancient Near Eastern computer, while he catches up with his wife and kids, feeds the dog, and then pretty soon it's time to go back to bed. And Jesus says that what's happening, we need to get this, what's happening, whether the man is asleep, sawing logs blissfully, or whether the man is awake, doing dishes and talking on the phone, is that the seed that the man had scattered does what? It sprouts and grows. The seed is there in the soil, Listen, sprouting and growing independently of the man who scattered the seed. The seed is sprouting and growing without the man's help, yes? Without the man's assistance, without his attention being paid to the seed. Now, borrowing uh, from a chapel talk that I heard uh, Dr. Rod Wilson give some years ago at Regent College in Vancouver, you and I are created, aren't we, as finite creatures who need sleep. Do you need sleep? Oh, I know I do. Um, if I don't get enough sleep, April can testify that the following day I'm short-tempered. And I start to feel run down physically if I don't get enough sleep. You and I have been designed to necessarily take long regular times of sleep. And the older I get, I'm 52, the more I love sleep. <laughs> I really do. I don't understand little children who complain about bedtime. Because bedtime is great. Here's the thing, though. According to Psalm 121, verse 4, the one who keeps Israel, who's that? God. The one who keeps Israel, neither slumbers, nor sleeps. 
God doesn't sleep. God is the only one who can remain awake without coffee always and be vigilant always. We all need to doze off and fall asleep, but God does not have that need. And what Jesus is saying here is that whether you and I are in REM sleep or whether we are awake making breakfast, God, God is unchangingly vigilant to make sure that this thing called the kingdom of God is growing and is sprouting. Listen, the growth and the development of God's rule, of God's kingdom, does not depend on us. It is God's work to grow and sprout the seed. Are you with me this morning? Now, this feels really threatening to those of us, if you're like me, who are rather addicted to work and effort and striving and activity, that we have somehow convinced ourselves that this is the thing that is growing the kingdom. No. I want you to listen carefully. While we were sleeping last night, how many of you slept last night? While you were sleeping last night, flat on your back, inactive under your comforter, God was at work growing and sprouting his kingdom without our help. The growth and the development of, of whatever kingdom seed that we have scattered, the growth and the development of the kingdom is God's domain. I'm going to repeat that several times. It is his work, his work, his domain. The kingdom sprouts and it grows because God causes it to do that. Okay, pastor, sure. You talk about the inevitable growth of the kingdom that God is working but what about the dangers facing God's kingdom? Threatening God's kingdom, like godless prime ministers or godless presidents with their godless laws and their evil decrees and their restrictions on freedom of religion increasingly. Aren't those going to curtail the growth of the kingdom? I want you to notice carefully how in our parable, Jesus completely and totally ignores such issues. <laughs> They're not in the text. What does Jesus do? He simply asserts very plainly and very boldly that the kingdom of God is sprouting and growing in this world no matter what. Amen. No matter what, because God has purposed it to do so. No human strategy, I don't care what it is, no human plan can thwart what God wants. Sure, pastor, but what about, what about the, the devil and his war against the kingdom? Isn't there a danger of kingdom crop failure, so to speak, because of the devil, because of the principalities and the powers. Again, Jesus completely just simply ignores all of that here. And he asserts, yeah, the kingdom, it's growing inevitably no matter what. So apparently the devil is a non-factor 
against the inevitable growth of this thing. Jesus, Jesus doesn't care to mention the devil or his strategies at all here. What about people who are exposed to the kingdom message and outright reject that message? What if you have like 14 people and all 14 reject the kingdom message? Isn't that sort of a, a stunting of the kingdom's growth? Again, Jesus simply asserts that indeed the kingdom still sprouts and grows in the timing and in the way that God wants it to sprout and grow despite appearances to the contrary. Despite whatever supposed setbacks that we might see and get hung up on. The sprouting and the growing of God's kingdom is mysteriously, friends, relentless. It is mysteriously relentless despite any appearances to the contrary. This thing called the kingdom just grows along. It grows along strongly, quietly, no matter what human uh, rumblings, human attacks, human schemes, diversions, successes, failures, calculations, miscalculations, no matter if any of that happens, no matter what satanic strategies might be unleashed against it, it grows and sprouts because God is getting it done. God is getting it done, and God is supreme, amen, and he is unstoppable. Now, notice how Jesus gets at our human limits at the end of verse 27. I love this part. He says, this thing sprouts and grows whether the man sleeps or is awake. Listen to these words. And the man, what? Knows not how. He knows not how this growth actually happens. He can't explain it. He doesn't get it. It's beyond him in the truest sense of the word. Whenever I plant a vegetable garden, I didn't this year, but whenever I do, I like to plant radish seeds because radishes are fast growers. And I like to eat radishes. I put them in a bowl, chop them up with some salt, and they're great. Uh, radishes, though, they tend to come up before the carrots, and they tend to come up before the beans. Um, so I throw radish seeds into the shallow soil, and then I wait several days, and then one day I come out, and guess what? There's little green heads all in a row, just where I planted the seeds popping up. How in the world? Th this amazes me, I have to say, even at age 52, like, how in the world does this actually happen? I'm sure scientists could explain. But there's a wonder about it, isn't there? I don't know how this happens, but it's marvelous to me. The radishes sprout and grow, but I know not how. Now, I mentioned a little earlier that I heard Rod Wilson give a chapel talk on this parable several years ago at Regent College. I remember that Wilson pointed to that word how here. He pointed to the word how, arguing, and I think rightly arguing, listen, that the church in the West has been rather obsessed with the how question for many decades. How do we gain numbers in the kingdom? 
how do we grow the church? How do we do effective urban ministry in a multicultural setting? How do we download the kingdom on a closed nation? There have been lots of books written on all of these topics and, and many conferences given on them. Wilson made the point that often in writing such books and in giving such conferences, he said, we rather presumptively assume that we know how kingdom growth happens. But Jesus says here, no you don't. We know not how this kingdom growth happens, like my radish plants. We can't comprehend how kingdom growth happens. It's beyond us. Why? Because it's not ours to manage or to control. It's God's work to grow and to develop his kingdom. We are only seed scatterers. Are you a seed scatterer today? We must be faithful seed scatterers. Here's now our activity. If you're worried about the activity, here it is, scattering seed, right? Sharing the gospel, proclaiming the word, loving our neighbor in all sorts of ways. But the results and the working of the kingdom in human hearts is God's to do. We always have to bear in mind the order of things, don't we? The Apostle Paul also described the order in 1 Corinthians 3 when he said, I planted scattered seed. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Again, the results, friends, the growth, the fruit of the kingdom is the domain of our God. In verse 28, Jesus then describes further the process of kingdom growth. Listen to this very carefully. The earth produces by itself. First the blade then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Notice how Jesus mentions the earth producing this plant from the seed. Jesus is very much here in line with Genesis 1.11, where God in the moment of creation said this, let the earth sprout vegetation. Right? Here in our parable, the earth produces by itself. Notice those words. By itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. By itself. The original Greek word here that we translate into English as by itself is the word automatos. Does that sound like a, almost like a familiar English word? Automatos, from which we get our word automatic. The same Greek word is used in Acts 12, verse 10, where an iron gate opens automatically of its own accord. The word is describing something that is happening without human intervention by itself. The earth produces the growing plant automatically by itself without any human help. Yes, we faithfully scatter the seed. Amen? 
we faithfully scatter the seed and we might till the soil and we might water the earth to optimize the conditions for growth. But none of what we do causes the actual growth process itself. The leafy plant, the fruit of the plant are God's work. And notice that the growth happens, how? On God's schedule. Yes? On God's schedule, on his timetable. Now, we might want to hasten things along, uh, put some miracle grow on it, get it to grow faster. We might want to hurry it faster, but it happens this way. Kingdom growth does first the blade. Notice the orderliness of this. Then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. Kingdom growth and development happens in God's way and in God's timing. By the Spirit of God, it is done in an orderly fashion. It cannot be hastened, it cannot be expedited, hurried along by human beings. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And finally, last verse of the parable, verse 29, Jesus says, But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Notice the progression that we've seen in the parable. We've gone from the seed being scattered then to a more complex description of the seed, the plants growing, and now finally we're at harvest. There's a whole process described in this brief parable from seeding to harvest, and all of it takes time. But along the way, the seed had the real potential within it, didn't it? for a great harvest. The kingdom, with its tiny, inconspicuous beginnings, like a seed, grows and it blossoms by God into a tremendous, glorious harvest. And this is going to happen no matter what obstacles or what dangers, so-called, that it might face along the way. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this little parable, I've come back to it often, I, I, I find it just arresting, and I find it very helpful also. Right at this very moment, friends, even as we sit here, God is causing kingdom seeds to grow into a great harvest. We may be very confident in that fact, despite discouraging appearances to the contrary, be assured this morning and be of good cheer because God is still relentlessly growing his kingdom and he will not stop until his harvest. Amen? God is yet carrying out his unchanged design to the letter despite all the alarms, possible nuclear war, right? Despite all the alarms, despite all the terrors and the upsets in our word, he's doing this thing and we can take Real comfort in this fact. There is no human anything that can alter the kingdom growth toward harvest that God is undertaking. So I want you to take comfort today, and I want you to be patient today, remembering that the work of the kingdom is on God's timetable, but it is assuredly happening. And be faithful to the Lord. Whatever activity God has given your hands to do, do it faithfully, to him, but please 
leave the kingdom growth and the kingdom fruit up to him. So this week, friends, here's my final word to you. Sleep, rise, work, live faithfully. As Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. And live this faithful life in the sure knowledge that the work of redemption has been finished on the cross of Jesus Christ and the Spirit is sprouting and growing His rule in human hearts toward His great harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the parables of Your Son that so often rock us, shock us, uh, take whatever power we assumed we had out of our hands and remind us that really it's in Your hands. Father, I pray that we would live into this parable this week, that it not just be words spoken on Sunday that we forget about, but that you would, by your Holy Spirit, bring it to our remembrance, challenge us with it, and help us to be doers of the word and live this word under and in the grace that you have given us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.